Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy, and I have a great show for you today. So like always, let's go ahead and get started with the news. Um, So the most interesting piece of news I found this week was Hyperkin announced the Turbo HD, uh, which was like a handheld Turbo Graphics uh, clone system uh, that would feature wireless HDMI to a television Um, People that are smarter than me picked up right away that this was probably an April Fool's Day prank. And then yesterday on Hyperkin's Facebook page, they did announce that it was in fact an April Fool's Day prank. Um, It was sort of obvious that it was uh, not real because it was a drawing and not some sort of 3D rendering. Uh, There was no news about it on their website that I could find. It only existed on their Facebook page, Um, but it was still really interesting. And uh, people were um, obviously fell for it because it was convincing and done before April 1st. Um, But I thought it was a really, really cool idea. Not the wireless HDMI part. That was kind of strange. Um, but we haven't seen too many clone systems that really support the Turbo Graphics. I believe there's probably one or two out there. I'm not big on clone systems. I don't have any problem with them. I just don't own them. Obviously, I've got the the real hardware and the RB, RGB and the XRGB Mini Frame Meister, and that's kind of the path that I've chosen. However, I did for some reason this actually really appealed to me. Um, I don't know why it appealed to me. I guess I've, I've owned a few TurboGrafx-16s over the years. Um, I would like to own one again, and I would probably get an EverDrive or some sort of flash cart because the games are a little too expensive for my tastes. Um, but there is something appealing. Uh, there's no doubt something appealing about clone systems that support HDMI. Um, the Retron 5, I see that a lot in the stores, and I'm like, man, that would make life so easy. Um, and with clone systems really supporting HDMI, I can, I can really start to see the appeal, uh, to be able to play real games, even though it's emulated hardware, um, on your big screen, uh, using real controllers and stuff like that. It is appealing. And for some reason, this clone fake clone system did really appeal to me and i hope that hyperkin kind of takes that interest level that they got from this it was all over the internet uh people were really excited and and i hope they take that excitement and and make a real product i think that would be pretty awesome um again the retron 5 uh whether you like emulated uh, clone type systems or not has been a pretty good success and uh, even people like me that are more purists uh, these types of devices have piqued our interest and i think they're really on to something so the turbo hd does not exist it was an april fool's day prank but hyperkin did say that uh, you know they were pleased by the uh, by the interest it generated so not really news sort of news i'm not really sure but really cool nonetheless the other big news i think this sort of hit before last sunday or maybe it was more this week and this again has to do with uh, the playstation 4 the wall street journal and a million other places but a buddy of mine i kind of touched base with him where this all really started i think it was the the wall street journal reported that sony was working on an updated playstation 4 Uh, dubbed, I guess, the PlayStation 4.5. And what this hardware would do, 
It would be like an upgrade. Now, it's not clear if this would be a brand new PlayStation, if this would be some sort of add-on. I don't really know how an add-on would work. I don't think the PlayStation 4 or Xbox One have like those expansion ports like systems of the past, uh, like the NES or the Master System, um, or even the Genesis. Um, so I'm not quite sure how it would work. The only thing I can really think of like today that's modern that sort of has like an add-on that works like that would be the Microsoft Surface. Uh, where the keyboard, you can get a keyboard, or I'm sorry, the Microsoft Surface Book. I don't remember what it's called. Anyway, it's the it's got a keyboard and uh, a touchscreen, but in the keyboard is a GPU. So when you dock the tablet to the keyboard, there is a GPU there, accelerated graphics. Um, so I don't know if that's how it would work, something like that, if that can be done over USB 3.0 or whatever ports the X, uh, the PlayStation 3 has. I'm not sure, um, but it's real interesting that these types of rumors are coming out. Um, the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One kind of came out at a weird time um, because they came out right before 4K really took off. Like, you can go to Walmart right now and get a 4K TV for ridiculously cheap. And I don't even know if you can buy a high-end TV that isn't 4K. Like, this really took off. Unlike, say, um, like 3D TVs, which just sort of flopped, like 4K just took off. And it's real easy to buy a cheap 4K display. But the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 kind of came out right before that revolution, and they don't really have the power uh, to make games run at 4K. Um, and I think there's a like we talked about with the with the NX not too long ago. You know, there's like there's like a hole there that maybe Nintendo could fill, and uh, maybe Sony kind of feels that way too. So, uh, and then of course we have virtual reality. I don't think the PlayStation 4 is powerful enough for a, for a good VR experience. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Obviously it could use more power to do that. Um, so there's kind of like a, a weird hole. The Xbox One and PlayStation 4 aren't really powerful enough for, for what is right around the corner. Um... So let's kind of, let's break this down. I've got some notes. I've thought about this uh, for a while, all week, obviously. Um, some some add-ons. Let's talk about add-ons that kind of worked and made sense. And then let's talk about some add-ons that didn't work and didn't make sense. And then kind of bring this all together. So uh, the two optional add-ons that made sense to me uh, were the HD DVD player for the Xbox 360 um, HDD, HD DVD obviously failed. Uh, Microsoft was a big supporter of Toshiba and the HD DVD format. Um, I believe Microsoft wrote one of the codecs that was pretty popular um, on that disc-based movie format. And they had a, I want to say it was $79.99. It was an external drive uh, plugged in via USB and allowed you to watch HD DVD movies through your Xbox 360. It was also the cheapest way to get 1080p out of HD DVD. Um, when HD DVD came out, uh, most of the players were 1080i, and it wasn't until the very end of the, the format's life cycle that there were some higher-end 1080p, uh, 1080p players. Um, it could also, I want to say, do it over VGA, which is kind of interesting, but it was optional. 
Um, the Xbox 360 only did DVDs, so a dual layer DVD is what nine gigabytes, versus the the PlayStation 3, which had Blu-ray, which could do 25 or 50 gigabytes. So there was a limitation to the Xbox 360 coming out early, beating these new disc-based formats. And what they did, which was smart, was this wasn't used for games or anything like that at all. Way back in the Dreamcast days, the Dreamcast kind of had a problem. It came out in 98 in Japan, 99 in the U.S., and that's kind of when DVD really took off. So DVD came out in 1997. Um, the drives and all of that were very expensive, and it made no sense to have that in the Dreamcast at the time. However, the PlayStation 2, which basically came out a year later, um, you know, prices had dropped over, you know, that 12-month time period. And so the PlayStation 2 was a very cheap DVD player and then also had, you know, significantly more storage capacity than the Dreamcast. Um, this, I don't know how true if there really was a Dreamcast DVD add-on being worked on, but it was always speculated. And I'm sure if you go back and like read, uh, do a search for like IGN Dreamcast DVD, you can probably find some of these. And people argued about it on the forums a lot. Some people wanted uh, a Dreamcast DVD add-on that would be required for games so that we could have Shenmue not be over four discs and things like that. Now, obviously, there never was a Dreamcast DVD add-on. Um, if there was, I hope it would have only been for movies, but, you know, it didn't really make any sense. Um, so HD DVD player for the 360 made sense. Optional add-on provided functionality that wasn't required for games. You know, if you didn't buy it, you didn't miss out on anything. The other one, uh, which we'll also touch on later, is the FM sound unit for the Sega Mark III. So the Master System in Japan had a... Uh, had this little, it had an FM sound unit plugged into the expansion port and games could take advantage of the, the Yamaha FM chip in there for some richer sound effects. Um, again, totally optional. If you didn't have it, these Master System games would still run, would use the normal sound hardware. Again, it enhanced games, but wasn't required. Failed add-ons, the biggest one, obviously, the Sega 32X, um, because it was required to play Sega 32X games. So it was kind of like um, Sega wanted to, to move on to the next bit of hardware, and it failed miserably because of, you had to, in order to play Sega 32X games, you had to already own a Genesis, and then you had to buy this expensive add-on, and it just didn't work at all. It was the wrong device at the wrong time in the wrong form factor. And that's something that Nintendo smartly uh, did. They had add-on chips or they had custom chips in some of their Super Nintendo games, the most obvious being the Super FX, uh, but there was a lot of other chips as well. But they put them in the cartridge, so there was no consumer confusion. And that's kind of the, the, the big advantage of it. Like, if you look back, what was so smart about it um, is there was no consumer confusion. You bought a game, you put it into your SNES, and it just worked. Um, whether you knew that you were getting some additional hardware, whether you knew this wasn't, you know, there was some custom chips in there, it really didn't matter. You just plugged it in and it worked. And then, uh, so kind of along the, the upgrade path, like a, instead of Sony just moving on to the PlayStation 5, but trying to do a 4.5 or like a weird update or upgrade, uh, also reminded me of the NEC Super Graphics. So when the Genesis came out in Japan, it was significantly more powerful than the, than the PC engine, the Turbo Graphics. And NEC kind of had an upgrade to the, to the PC engine called the Super Graphics. 
hope it's called the super graphics. If it's not, that's going to be embarrassing. But anyway, it was, uh, it was like a beefed up uh, PC engine with some additional RAM and some other hardware. I think seven games were released for it and it just quietly failed. And that system in particular is what reminds me of this. Uh, if there is a PlayStation 4 with upgraded hardware, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, I guess the only way it would possibly make sense is if it obviously isn't required that you can still play PlayStation 4 games without buying new hardware. Um, so if you can buy PlayStation PlayStation 4.5 and the games either are 1080p on the you know normal hardware or 4k on the upgraded hardware but it works both ways I guess that's the only way it makes sense um, maybe it's some sort of uh, admission that maybe the PlayStation 4 isn't powerful enough for their, uh, the PlayStation VR the virtual reality stuff I'm not really sure but what we do know is that again I had a great conversation with a with a friend of mine pocket Migo check him out on YouTube um, about the whole point of consoles in the first place and a good point he made in a recent video was that when you buy a home console that's meant to you know be played on your tv you're sacrificing power the power of a pc for just convenience and ease of use and when you start talking about upgrades and stuff like that to a normal home console you're kind of getting away from the whole point of having a home console in the first place which is it sits in your entertainment center for five to ten years and you never have to think about it it just always works when you turn it on and when you start fracturing your user base um, adding additional capabilities that not everyone has um, you're kind of you're on a slippery slope. What's a developer going to do? Are they even going to support the new hardware? Um, we can see that like with the Kinect, Microsoft wanted that to be, uh, they packaged that in with the Xbox One in hopes that developers would take advantage of that and they just sort of never did. I think the Sony probably is working on upgrades. I would imagine that all three of the console manufacturers are, you know, they have a research and development department uh, they're always working on new hardware, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, hopefully, you know, constantly staying on top of their tools. So if they do release a new system, developers are ready for it. But yeah, the PlayStation 4.5, I think if Sony, let's just say Sony makes some sort of add-on, you plug it in and it boosts the power of the PlayStation 4. I think you alienate all of the existing PlayStation 4 owners, and I think less people are willing to upgrade than you think. And it's all really about public perception. Uh, we saw the Xbox One launch really fail pretty bad for Microsoft, and they've never really kind of caught up because of all that negative publicity they got, whether it was justified or not justified. Um, you know, that reputation, you know, was ruined. They've all right, so my recording software just crashed, so I'm just going to wrap up uh, this segment. So basically, uh, good news this week, the Turbo HD doesn't exist, but I think it's going to exist, and the PlayStation 4.5 probably exists, uh, but I don't think uh, will ever get released uh, to the world. So maybe this console cycle, um, you know, the, the last one, the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 lasted for 10 years. Maybe this is the console cycle where it only lasts, you know, four or five five years. We shall see. So let's go ahead and move on to a user comment. Now, this was not on uh, the podcast, but I kind of liked it anyway. And about a month ago, I did a video on Master System FM sound. 
Um, so we kind of already talked about the FM sound unit for the SMS, the master system. Um, and I did a video where I talked about the history of the sound, uh, the FM sound unit, and then how you can enjoy that sound today. And then I did a video kind of showing off the five different games and then what the sound sounded like with the normal master system PSG sound chip, and then with that enhanced upgrade. Um, results were mixed. I, in my mind, well, let's get to that. So the comment is, I think I have to honestly say that in every game shown here, I prefer the original from Shot97. Um, and this really got me thinking about how I got into the Master System and, and how my opinion on the Master System has kind of changed over the past 15 years. So I originally got a Master System, I want to say my junior year of high school, um, in the summer of 2001. Um, so between junior and senior year, uh, I got it from a friend. He had a Master System growing up for some reason. I have no idea why. Um, and he said he would sell out all his master system and everything he had for it to me for 20 bucks. Now, I didn't have $20. I gave him a 10 and he said, don't worry about it. You know, $10 is fine. So I got a master system and probably a dozen or so games, a pair of controllers uh, for $10, which is pretty awesome. Um, I didn't like it, actually. Uh, the games that I had with it were a lot of Sega arcade ports, which uh, I don't really care for Sega's Master System arcade ports. I feel a lot of them just aren't that fun uh, to play today, and the sacrifices they made to squeeze them onto the 8-bit hardware just hasn't aged well to me. Now, I know my opinion isn't necessarily in the majority there. Um, when I talked about how much I didn't like Afterburner, people um, tended to disagree, but I know that if this is how I feel, then there are other people that feel that way as well. Um, so I didn't really care for it, and it sat for a long time. But over time, let's see, let's talk about why I didn't like it. Uh, the thing I didn't like, yeah, so I mentioned the Sega arcade ports. Um, but one of the things that really struck me when playing a lot of these games was I really hated the sound. Um, it was very, I thought it was very tinny. I thought it lacked depth, and it was just obviously, to me anyway, obviously not as good as the, the NES sound that I've, you know, experienced my entire life. Um, so yeah, didn't really care for it. Over time, I did find games that I really liked, uh, that people really didn't talk about. So people would talk about how great Quartet is, or Golvias, or just a lot of games that I had and played and didn't really like, and I just didn't really understand. However, like with anything, I found games over time that I really did enjoy. Uh, the first two, the big two, I got these on eBay for like nothing. So on eBay, I bought like a Master System, an NES, and then it had, uh, let's see, R-Type, Psycho Fox, and something boy, Teddy Boy, and then some random controllers and power cables. I got this for $17 with free shipping. Uh, the auction, basically, you could tell everything was covered in dirt. It was either in a basement or a garage for 20 years, and he put it on eBay and said, I don't know if any of it works, and it all worked beautifully and I made a nice profit on selling the NES and the Master System and then kept the games and yeah. But R-Type, Psycho Fox, and Teddy Boy, I loved all three of those games quite a bit. R-Type, in my opinion, had that deep, awesome, lot of bass uh, soundtrack that I f up till then I thought was lacking in Master System games and the gameplay was, you know, exceptional. Like this game looks better than any NES game I've ever played. I was totally blown away. 
And then the same goes for Psycho Fox. While not as pretty as the Mario games, it kind of, in my opinion, hit that level. Like, oh, this is what the Master System can do. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Good soundtrack, really great platformer. One of my favorite Master System games. And then over time, uh, Enduro Racer, another Master System game that I really enjoy that nobody seems to like at all. Don't know why. It's an isometric racer. Uh, feels like a Sega racing game. Really, really fun. Really, really enjoy it. Um, so as I began discovering these games, um, then I really began to like the Master System. Um, again, I know my taste in Master System games is a lot different than other people, but that's kind of like with any system, right? Um, if I played a Master System, you know, back in the 80s, uh, my opinion about it today would be very different. People in Europe, where the Master System was more popular than the NES in many territories, have a completely different view, and their view of the NES is probably how I feel about the Master System. Um, and that's okay. That's what it's all about. Um, learning from people's perspectives and gaining new opinions, and um, yeah. So I do like the Master System quite a bit. However, there's still, let's see here, I still, even the games I did like, like the sound, I just always found it very lacking. Um, and then someone brought this to my attention. Um, I don't remember who, if you're listening, I, I'm forgetting your name and I apologize. Uh, but they talked about the uh, Powerbase Mini FM, which I have here. So this is what... Um, this is how I did that video with the Master System FM sound. So this goes in and out of stock quite a bit. This is made by a company called DB Electronics. And then uh, StoneAgeGamer.com buys these and packages them into a device that you can buy. So this plugs into a Sega Genesis. You put your Master System games up there. And then for the games that have the code, you get awesome FM sound. Now, again, when I play half of my Master System games support FM sound and I... It blown away like the first time i played r-type um and outrun i'm like oh my god this sounds better than the nes and i absolutely loved it and that's why i like this comment so much is because it's a totally different opinion somebody that played the master system way back when has that nostalgia for that specific master system sound um, and i don't have that nostalgia from being a kid playing the master system so when i hear this fm sound uh, it really really appeals to me it really reminds me of maybe the sega genesis which i did have as a kid um so the biggest problem with the FM sound is that Master System games can't use both the Master System PSG chip and the FM sound unit. It's one or the other. So while I find the music to be almost always way superior with FM sound, uh, the sound effects are often a little less than desirable. So really cool device. Um, this really reignited i guess my love for the master system again not my favorite system by a long shot i do appreciate you know what it is uh its place in history and uh, a lot of the games are you know have grown on me over the years and i'm still discovering new games i've got a couple european games that a fan sent me that i can't wait to to you know really sink my teeth into um games that were made after the master system was canceled here in america so it really reminded me of the Master System. Kind of wanted to touch base on the Powerbase Mini FM and, and just how nostalgia, you know, changes our perception today. I get this a lot on videos uh, where people either accuse me of having too much nostalgia and liking a game that's not good anymore, or people saying, you know, you aren't respecting, you know, what this game was like in '88. So I kind of get both ends of it. 
Um, but that's kind of life, right? Like the music that you enjoyed as a kid, you know, affects the music that you enjoy today or the movies that you liked when, you know, you were younger affects your perception of movies today. And it's the same for games. Um, you know, the games that you played, you know, before today are going to affect how you appreciate and enjoy games that you're going to play in the future. And if you and I don't have that same history, then our perception in the future is going to be totally different. And that's okay. There is no right answer. So let's move on to the final segment of today's show, which is cheap games. Now this actually I'm starting to find really difficult. So the whole point of this segment was to talk about games that uh, are less than $5 today, retro classic style games that are still really cheap because as time passes, a lot of these classic retro games are getting more and more expensive and i kind of wanted to highlight games that are still cheap and if you're getting into the hobby uh, getting into collecting or getting into the scene some cheap places to start not just cheap crappy games cheap good games games that you want to play this is also unexpected for me was realizing how many games that i own that i paid less than five dollars for that just go for a, a ridiculous amount today um games that i paid you know one two three dollars for at goodwill are are now insanely expensive and i was just totally unaware once you own a game and you know you have it in your collection you know for 10 years you have no reason to know the value of it um i guess unless you're one of those people and so i have a lot of games that i didn't realize were expensive and now i'm like holy crap um but i was able to find a game that I spent less than $5 for and still goes for less than $5. So there we go, $2.99. This of course is Soul Calibur 2 on the Xbox. I've talked about this in the past. If uh, if you're looking for cheap games that have some sort of hope of appreciating, or you're just looking for a cheap system to collect for, the original Xbox is really where it's at. A ton of games for less than $5 and I have a feeling we're going to be talking about the Xbox for the next few weeks because I'm struggling to find games that fit my own category. But I am not the hugest fan of fighting games. This is why I don't really review fighting games or talk about them in any amount of depth. It's not a genre that I excel at. It's not a genre that I'm overly familiar with. I do have some fighting games in my collection, but I'm not an expert by any means. But there are fighting games that can appeal to non-fighting game fans. Uh, you know, they're just really good, solid games. So the Dead or Alive series is one that I really enjoy. And then Soul Calibur 1 and 2 are games that I really enjoy. Now I originally got Soul Calibur 2 because it runs in 720p on an original Xbox and that really appealed to me. Um, You know, I was uh, an early adopter of HDTV. I got my first HDTV in 2005. Um, It's a a 26 inch CRT. I'm sure I've talked about it before, Um, but without having a lot of content available back then, I kind of revisited the Xbox's library of games that support 720p or 1080i. So Soul Calibur 2 is interesting in that regard. It runs in HD on an original Xbox. However, it is pillar boxed. So if you play it in 720p mode, there are black bars on the left and the right um obviously the xbox uh, the original xbox really doesn't 
have the RAM. Um, it wasn't designed with HD in mind, so it's kind of amazing that it does it anyway. But the game itself is actually also incredibly fun. Um, like I said, it's very, very playable for non-fighting game fans. It's very easy to start playing and understanding the attacks, understanding counters and blocking and things like that. It just it has a real good flow to it. Sort of like a good racing game. You know, there's just a flow to it. It makes it extremely enjoyable to play. It's one I'd like to put more time into and really talk about in depth. But again, if I try to really delve into a fighting game, I'm probably just going to get a lot of facts wrong because um, I'm not an expert in the genre. And maybe we'll have to tailor the video to that way. But um, very interesting, awesome game. HD on the Xbox, that alone makes it, you know, a neat curiosity. And if, you know, you're looking for cheap games, you can't go wrong with the Xbox. So then, of course, the second game is a game that I paid $5 for that goes for more than $5. This I kind of caught by accident. So I did a... I feel like I'm talking about myself too much. Um, I did a video uh, on Tuesday about or what I did. Let's start over. So I found a video that I had done... I, footage I had recorded back in 2010 when I first started a YouTube channel. I recorded my entire video game collection and then this stuck out to me. It's a $4.99 price tag on a Super Nintendo game. And this game, of course, is Axelay. So I saw that and I'm like, oh, we're talking about that on Sunday. So this game, for some reason, now goes for about $40. This is a Konami shmup on the Super Nintendo. And like a lot of Konami's uh, shooters back then uh, it has vertical stages and horizontal stages which is pretty cool i'm not sure if uh, modern games still kind of do that where they mix the vertical and the horizontal i've i've have mixed feelings about axelay i think it's overrated i still think it's good but i think the enemy patterns bullet patterns weapon upgrades uh, all of those things are pretty vanilla and I think the biggest selling point of this game was some of the neat scrolling effects that it does. Now, I don't know if the if, if the, the vertical stages have some neat perspective effects. Now, I don't know if that's mode 7 or not. Um, you can kind of see the same effects on Sonic 3D Blast for the Genesis. The bonus stages pretty much have that same effect. So I think it might be line scrolling effects, not mode 7, but I'm not a programmer, so what do I know? Um, so that's kind of all I have to say about it. I think it's kind of a vanilla shooter uh, with some really awesome graphic effects. Now, the game goes for $40, obviously, because people really love this game. And uh, whenever I talk about this, I always get comments about how Axelay is their favorite 16-bit shooter. So there's certainly that perspective as well. Um, but yeah, I miss the days looking through my collection and seeing all these Goodwill stickers or or seeing these generic stickers where I could go and buy SNES games for five bucks. Um, kind of, you know, it's a little sad that those days are over, but... So guys, that's all the time we have for this week. Again, I am Chris. If you are listening to this video and want to watch it, check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash implantgames. If you are watching this and want to subscribe to it like a normal MP3 podcast, um, check the description for the RSS link or the iTunes link, and uh, you can watch it that way or listen to it that way. So until next time, guys, have a great week.